Well, good morning. I'm going to tell you something that I hope you already know. And if you don't already know this, I hope you really, really understand it and believe it by the time you leave here today. Um, and it's not a cliche, even though you, you hear it said a lot, it sounds like a cliche, but it's actually a biblical truth. And that biblical truth is that life is short. Life is actually too short. And we, we say that all the time, life is short, life is too short. And it sounds cliche because we, we say it so much. And because we say it so much, it loses a little bit of its effectiveness. When you say something over and over and over again, particularly a truth, and you just keep saying it over and over, and you say it in passing, oh, life is, is short, life is too short, it loses a little bit of its power. And I want to bring the power back to that biblical statement of life is too short. And it's really summed up best in James 4.14. James 4.14 says, why you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. And we're going to spend most of our, our time here today just focusing on on this statement right here. Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Which is to say, life is short. You are here for a little while and it says mist. And when I was thinking of of a mist, I was thinking of like a, a room aerosol spray you know what I'm talking about like the room aerosol sprays the the room uh, air fresheners whatever you use and how you would spray that in a room right and when you spray that aerosol or that room sprayer that room freshener you spray that in the room and you actually see the mist you see the mist come out of the container and it's very clear it's clearly visible but then guess what just a few moments later it's gone right what was once very clearly visible, what you could look and see one moment, the next moment is gone. And that is what the scripture says our lives are. Our lives are a mist. Something that is very clearly here one moment and then the next moment is gone. You can't see it. It's vanished from sight. It's like the morning fog our life is. When I drive into town from Beaver Creek on 35, right after 35 and Valley Road intersect, there's a huge field. Some of you might know the field I'm talking about. It's somewhere right around the 35 Washington Courthouse uh, bypass, right in that area. is a huge, huge field. And when I come in in the morning sometime at 7, 7 8 o'clock in the morning, I see that field and it's just filled with fog. Clear as can be. Sometimes it's so thick I see it from a distance. There's that morning fog that's been there. It's every morning, like clockwork, as long as I can remember, that morning fog is there, 7, 7.30, 8 o'clock. But guess what happens when you come back at 9 o'clock? That fog isn't there anymore. See, that's your life. It's here one moment, and it's gone the next. Very clear, 
very visible, very much right in front of you one moment, and then the next, it's gone because life is that short. And that's how someone's going to think about us someday. Well, they were just here. I just saw them the other day. I just talked to them the other day. We just had a conversation. We just had a reunion. We just had lunch together. They were just here, and now they are gone. That is a part of life. And another translation says, your life is like a puff of smoke. And I was like, a puff of smoke. That one I didn't quite understand. That translation I didn't quite understand, a puff of smoke. But then I got to thinking about it a little bit more. And I was, this was right around 4th of July, actually, when I was going through James 4.14. And I thought, puff of smoke. And I thought, well, in my mind, what life is really like is one of those little smoke bombs. You know what I'm talking about? It's like the only firework that's still legal in the state of Ohio, it seems like. The little bitty round smoke bombs that have been around since we were all kids. And they come out to the stores every year. And you think about that, what happens is you light that little bitty smoke bomb. And it just starts puffing out smoke and puffing out smoke and puffing out smoke. And it seems sometimes like that little smoke bomb is just going to go on forever, right? It's just puffing out smoke and puffing out smoke. And you've got this big cloud of this awful smell going on. But guess what happens eventually? The smoke is gone. Eventually, it runs out. That's our life. We may think it's going to go on and on and on. But the truth is, the biblical truth is, it's not. We are here for a short time. And then we will be gone. Each and every one of us. Not one of us will escape that. You're thinking you're special somehow. You're not. Nor am I. We're not going to escape this fact that one day we will be gone. Life is too short. Here's the sad news. Average lifespan is 80. Average lifespan is 80. And that's that's a balance. For women, it's a little higher than men. I'll let you guys go to lunch and figure out why that is. I'm not 100% sure. So I'm 44. That means my life is half over. That means if you're my age, if you're 40, 44, above my age, your life is half over. Can you believe that? And I wasted a good 20 years of the first half. I'm playing catch up right now. Right? Like I wasted years. I wasted years. So now I'm looking at the fact that life is half over for me. And I'm accepting it. I'm struggling with it. But if you're 40 or if you're older than 40, if you're pushing 40, your life is half over. That should cause you to evaluate some things. That should cause you to think about some things, right? That's a scary thought. We probably don't think about it very much. If you came looking for the warm and fuzzy message today, this probably isn't it. I'm trying to get down to it. Like, our time here is short. And if, man, if I'm, I don't think I'll see 80s. Let's just get real. I think 70s probably pushing it because of those 20 years I wasted are going to take off on the back end of life. Okay? So the 20 years I wasted are probably going to come off the back end of life. So let's just say 70, which would make me one of the longest living males in my family anyhow. I got 26 years left. 
I got 26 years, let's say. I'd be thankful for 70. Life is too short. Life is way too short. My dad died when I was 29. He was 57. To me, that is a glaring example of life is too short. For me, to be, I'm just going to be selfish about it. To me, that wasn't enough time with him. I had more things I needed to learn. I had more things I needed to know. I needed his input. I needed his life experience. To sit there and say goodbye to him at 29 and he was only 57, to me that means life is too short. That is just to me a a truth. That is my reality when I think life is too short to lose him when I was 29 and he was 57. But you know what? How many of us know somebody who lost their parent when they were younger than 29? right? Surely you would agree that life is too short. Those who grew up without one of their parents because their parents left us prematurely, maybe you would agree that life is too short. To say goodbye to your parent at 57, 60, perhaps you would agree with me that life is too short. If you've lost a child, maybe you would agree that life can be too short. A parent who has said goodbye to their child may agree that life is absolutely, at times unfairly, unexplainably too short. We do not know what tomorrow holds. We are only here for a little while. Life is short. Protect it. Value it. It says you don't know what will happen tomorrow. And scripture is full of warnings about worrying about tomorrow. Focusing on tomorrow. It says in James 4.14 that you do not know what will happen tomorrow. Here's another scary example of life is too short. And the reason we have to get through this whole life is too short, because we have to embrace life, we have to love life, we have to value life, we have to take care of life, and we have to protect life. And if we truly believe that life is too short, that it's this commodity to be taken care of, to not be wasted, to not be spoiled, to not be used and abused, see, then we can treat our life in the manner that we should treat it. Now, here's a very scary example of life being too short. Somewhere, and maybe not in this congregation or in this room right here, somewhere, maybe even somebody we know this week is walking into a doctor's appointment and they're going to get told that their life is going to be too short. They're going to walk in and get the news they don't want and they're not prepared for. And it's going to be scary and it's going to be frightening. And they're going to get told, guess what? Your life is about to be cut short. Your life is going to be too short. This happens to people all the time. They go into an appointment expecting to hear one thing. And they wake out, walk out with the reality of knowing my life is going to be too short. What are you going to do with that? Life is too short to give up. To that person walking into that appointment this week, to the person who walked into that appointment last week, who got that news, life is too short to give up. Life is too short not to fight. 
You keep pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing. Life is too short not to stay in the fight. Life is too short not to finish the race. Again, biblical statements. Stay in the fight. Finish the race. Life is too short. Life is too short to not truly live that good life that Pastor Nathan talks about. Life is too short not to laugh. Life is too short to be miserable. All these things apply. All these things apply. Life is too short to be in a bad or abusive relationship. Life is too short to stay in addiction. And you can insert right here whatever applies to you. You can insert your too short right here. My life is too short for. My life is too short not to. Somewhere there's something. My life is too short. I used this as a sermon series at Riverside. And every week we went through something where we just said life is too short. Life is too short not to have a vision. Again, where there is no vision, the people perish. You've heard that before. And you know what really drove this home for me? Like, life is too short not to have a vision. And hopefully this makes sense to you a little bit, was if you don't have a plan for something, how successful do you think it's going to be? Like, if you don't have a solid plan in place for something, if you don't have a vision, okay, how successful do you think it's going to be? And here's who I got to thinking about through this. Life is too short not to have a vision. Parents, I was thinking about you during the summer. And how cruel it is to take a child and take them to school every day with trained professionals who implement structure eight hours a day, let's say, right? That's what teachers do, right? They implement structure eight hours a day. They corral chaos eight hours a day. Every day for about nine months, we take our children to teachers, we take them to school, and these teachers have everything laid out for them, right? What they're going to do with their day, when they're going to do it, what time is lunch, what time is snack, what time is nap, all those good things. And then, all of a sudden, we completely stop doing that, and we say, parents, here you go, it's your turn. That makes no sense. And parents, I really think, like, if you don't have a plan for your summer, you're going to fail. If you don't have some kind of vision for your summer and how you're going to deal with those children who now don't have all of that structure, all of those activities, everything mapped out for them, if you don't have a vision for how that summer is going to go, you're going to fail. If we don't have a vision for how we're going to raise our children, we're going to fail. If you don't have a discipleship plan in your home for your children and your family, you're going to fail at discipleship. Anything worth doing is worth having a vision and a plan for. Life is too short not to have a vision. Life is too short not to have a vision on how you're going to strengthen your marriage. Life is too short not to have a vision on how you're going to raise your children. Life is too short not to be all in. Some of you that know me know I have a kind of an all-in personality. It works well for me most of the time. But the all-in is just about the greatest commandment. Life's too short not to love God with my very best. Life's too short not to be all-in. Life's too short not to be all-in for God and your family 
in your church. Life's too short. Life's too short not to love others. Life's too short to not let God handle whatever it is that you can't handle. At some point, you, you have to let go and let God, and I want to break that down. I don't love that phrase. Because we say it as if it's biblical and it's not. How many times have you heard someone say, you know, that phrase, let go and let God. And it sounds great, doesn't it? It sounds great. Sounds great on a bumper sticker. It sounds great on a sign hanging in your house. Sounds great on your bookmark. Let go, let God. First of all, it's not in the scripture. And when you kind of do a Google search and you type in let go and let God, you're going to find the words like submission. Words that we're not very fond of sometimes. But if you really want to let go and let God, you've got to submit. Life is too short to not submit to God. Life is too short to not give yourself over to God completely. Life is too short to not submit. Life is too short to buy lies. And life is too short to be stuck. And then whatever else you need to add in there for your life. And for me, it's like, to me, life is too short to do things that doesn't, don't matter. Life is too short to attend just one more meeting for the sake of attending just one more meeting, right? Life is too short. Life is too short to spend time wasted and not being productive. Life is too short. The days are too short. Tomorrow is promised to absolutely no one. But most importantly, life is too short to not have an interaction with Jesus. Life is too short to not have an interaction with Jesus. Now you guys have been on Sermon on the Mount. So I went back through taking the life is too short from James 4.14 um, and looked at it through using that as my lens, and I went back into the Sermon on the Mount a little bit. I'm not going to go through every single thing that was said in the Sermon on the Mount, but if we just took the life is too short, and we applied it to how we read the Sermon on the Mount, let's just do that real quick. Obviously, I'm in Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. Life is too short not to mourn. Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. Life is too short not to mourn. Life is too short to not hunger and thirst for righteousness. Life is too short to not be merciful. Life is too short to not be a peacemaker. Folks, life is way too short to not be a peacemaker. Life is too short to hold grudges, right? Life is too short to keep a record of right and wrongs. Life is too short to be one, worrying about who did what to who. Life's too short for that. Life is too short not to reconcile. Life is too short to get caught up in anything lustful. Life is too short to not obey. I haven't gotten to chapter 6 yet. Life is too short to take revenge. Life is too short not to love your enemies. 
Life is too short to not turn the other cheek. Does stuff sound familiar? Life is too short. Life is too short to not love your neighbor. Life is too short to not love your neighbor as yourself. Life is too short to not forgive. And that's just a brief, very fast overview of taking James 4.14 and going back to the Sermon on the Mount and looking at how life is too short. Life is too short to not be meek. Life is too short to not be poor in spirit. That's what Jesus is given. He's given instructions for life. And Jesus has given instructions for life. And we know that life is too short. Life is too short to not take the Sermon on the Mount and apply it to our lives. Life's too short. But life is too short to not have an interaction with Jesus. So I'm going to jump to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 8. Jesus comes down from the mountainside. And the large crowd's following him. We could, we could just pause right there. Life's too short to not follow Jesus. Right? Life is just too short to not follow Jesus. So Jesus comes down from the mountainside. He's got a large crowd following him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. So this is after the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has come down. And here's this leper. Now, there's really two ways, at least two ways, to start to kind of examine the text here. Uh, The one would be from the perspective of Jesus and what Jesus is doing and what Jesus is thinking and Jesus' interaction with the leper. When I heard this preached recently, that was the direction that the pastor took it. He took it from the direction of Jesus coming down and Jesus having an interaction with this leper. And you could apply that. Life is too short to not help the sick. Life is too short to not help those who need it. Life is too short to not heal someone, right? Life is too short to not walk the walk. That's exactly what Jesus is doing here. He just talked the talk, okay? He just talked the talk, and now, lo and behold, here's this opportunity to kind of back up what he just said, right? He's talked the talk. He's given the sermon. He's talked about how to treat people all throughout that sermon, okay, on how to treat people. And lo and behold, here comes somebody who's been mistreated his whole life. And a leper would have been mistreated his entire life, okay, his entire life, okay? They would have classified the leper as a disgusting person. They would have accused him of having sinned, and that's why they had leprosy. They would have put him in special places, special colonies. There were special rules for them, okay? So lo and behold, here comes this ugly, disgusting outcast, this social outcast, right? And Jesus just got done talking about how to treat people. And now here he is. He's going to walk the walk. He's going to heal the leper. Because life is too short to not walk the walk. 
But we're not going to focus on what Jesus did because we're not Jesus. We're going to focus on the one who needs healing and who's sick and who needs help because that's who we are. We are the leper. We are the one who needs healing, who needs help. We're the ones who are sick. We're the ones that need to come to Jesus. We are the ones that need an interaction with Jesus. So we're going to look at ourselves in this, not in Jesus in this, okay? Because life is too short to not have an interaction with Jesus. And there's something special about this leper. First, again, he's, he's just, he's, we've never seen, has anybody ever seen a leper? Like, I don't know, do they still have lepers in certain parts of the world? Maybe parts of the world that we haven't traveled? So, like open flesh, right? Like scabs that are open. And I'm sorry, it's disgusting, I know. But that's who they were. And they were nasty, if only because of that. Not because of any fault of their own, but they would have been made to feel that way. So you had a person with affliction, and they would have hammered home that there was something wrong with them, both physically and inside of them. Okay, so the damage is being done to these people. And then they're being pushed out, okay? They're being pushed out, pushed away, housing them in their own little areas, right? And when they came around, they had to announce that they were there. Okay, so when the lepers came around, hey, unclean is here. That's basically what they had to say. Hey, unclean, I'm coming in. They had to announce their presence. Okay, so you have this this leper, and he seeks out Jesus. Because understand, they lived in their own little area, right? They didn't mingle amongst everybody else. So it's not a happenstance meeting. He didn't be happen to hanging out that day, okay, and he just happened to bump into Jesus. No, he would have had to have come from his place of isolation, the place they stuck him, the place they put him. He would have had to come from that place, and he would have had to deliberately sought out Jesus. That's what we need to do. We need to deliberately seek Jesus. So that's what this leper does. He deliberately goes to have an interaction with Jesus. What, what, when I read this, you know what? Knowing that he came from that place, right? Why didn't the others come? Why didn't the others come with him? Because there's a whole bunch of them, right? Because they got, they got to live together. They got to hang out together. They got to dwell together. They've been isolated together, right? Only lepers can live with lepers. Why didn't the others come? Why just him? What keeps other people from having an interaction with Jesus? Fear? Shame? Disbelief? I, I don't know. But I, I look at this and I wonder, why did they not come with him? Why is it just One. Why so many times do we see that Jesus has interactions with large crowds and it's only one or two that come and seek him out? It's only a few that seek him out. It's only one or two that try to trudge his robe amongst a crowd of people. It's only one or two that try to climb a tree and get a better look at him amongst a crowd of people. It's only one leopard that comes to him amongst many, many lepers. And I wrote down in here why there would be many, many more. Fear, shame, fear of judgment. 
Probably a lot of the things that keep us from really coming to Jesus. Probably a lot of the things that keep us from coming to the altar. Probably a lot of things that keep us from taking communion. We fear what everybody else is going to say. We fear judgment. We're shamed. We don't know how to come and have a moment with Jesus. Probably just all these things that kept the leper away. But notice he, he came, he sought out Jesus, a deliberate, deliberate action. And then he knelt before him. So immediately, when he comes upon Jesus, when he comes upon the Lord, he kneels before him. Before he says a word, he is acknowledging Christ for who he is. That's the power of Christ. Because... Of all these people all around him, many of which who should have fully understood who Christ was. It's the one who's probably had very little interaction with him who kneels before him. So the leper comes and kneels before him and he says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. So he has come, he has deliberately sought him out, and now he is kneeling before him. And how does he address him? He doesn't call him rabbi. He doesn't call him teacher. He doesn't call him good teacher. He calls him Lord. He comes and kneels before Jesus and he acknowledges him for who he is because life is too short to not have an interaction with Jesus. And life is too short to not acknowledge Jesus for who he is. He is Lord. And that's what this sick, sick person is doing. He's coming before our Lord and Savior, Jesus. And he is getting down and he is kneeling before him. He is acknowledging him for everything that he is. And I look at that a little bit and it reminds me of the the rich young ruler who comes before Jesus, who knows a little something. He's got some education and he comes before Jesus and he says, good teacher, good teacher. And he has the opportunity to acknowledge Jesus for who he is, and he doesn't. He doesn't kneel. He doesn't acknowledge him as Lord. And here's this leper kneeling and acknowledging him for who he is. He says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. First couple times I read that verse, sometimes we read things the way we want to read them. Sometimes my dyslexia kicks in. When I read it first couple times, it says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. I read it. Lord, if you are willing, will you make me clean? That's, that's just for whatever reason, that's how I read it. And the difference in how it's actually written is tremendous because what he is saying is, you can make me clean. He is coming before him, and there's no question about if. There's absolutely no if in this equation. Not maybe, not in the equation. He is saying, Lord, if you want to, you can make me clean. He is again acknowledging Jesus for exactly who he is. He is saying, you are Lord. You are healer. You are above this disease that I am dealing with. You are above this sickness that I am dealing with. I know who you are. You can make me clean. You can heal me. He is having a total acknowledgement of who Jesus Christ is. He acknowledges his lordship. He acknowledges his power. And he says, you 
can heal me. You can fix me. You can cleanse me. You can do what nobody else can do because you're Jesus. And he says, I kneel down before you. And he acknowledges his right to not do it as well. Think about that. He says, if you're willing. He acknowledges Jesus' right to not do it. That's almost the sign of a mature Christian right there. Acknowledging that Jesus can do it, but maybe he won't do it. That's the kind of stuff that keeps us up at night, right? Wondering why God hasn't done something. When will God do it? Why won't he do it? This, this leper, this nobody, is acknowledging the fact that, well, maybe it will, maybe he won't. But I'm still going to call him Lord. Still going to now bow down before him. Still going to acknowledge him for who he is. Still going to have an interaction with him. Wow. I never thought I could learn so much from a leper. Mm -mm -mm. Life's too short to not have an interaction with Jesus. And one of the ways we interact with Jesus is through communion. Very word, communion, commune, indicates a togetherness. It indicates an interaction, and our servers are going to come to the Lord's table. And it's important that we acknowledge it as the Lord's table. And as our servers come and they prepare the Lord's table, even in saying that right there, we're acknowledging him for who he is. We are saying, Lord, this is your table. Lord, this is your body and your blood. There's an acknowledgement that we make when we come to that table and we call it the Lord's table and we call these elements the Lord's body and the Lord's blood. And it's an interaction to be taken seriously with reverence. Our servers are there. The altar is open. And it's not me that's inviting you. It's Jesus who invites you. He invites you to his table. He invites you to the altar. He invites you to come forward now and have a very real interaction with him. He invites you to come forward and acknowledge him for who he is. Father, we come before you humbly that you would thank so much of us to give your son for us. That while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. God, I pray that right now this goes beyond mere motions and elements. That we have a very real, very true interaction with Jesus right here at this moment. That in this moment, 
It's just the individual and Christ communing together, having an interaction. God, I pray that we submit ourselves to his lordship, that we find ourselves kneeling down before the king of kings. God, you are an absolutely an amazing, amazing God. A God who desires a presence with his people. And we know your present father. I pray that our hearts invite you in and that we invite Jesus in these elements of communion, his body and his blood. Amen.